Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Tijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we're discussing the series Mayor of Easttown and the film The Mitchells vs. the Machines. Two works that involve dysfunctional families, although I would say one is definitely in worse shape than the other so far. Yeah, extremely different uh, color palettes as well. Yes, <laughs> very much true. Very much true. Uh, so, Pellin, you had a birthday. I Last did. Um, I did. I'm I'm the ripe old age of 32. My wow. Uh, everyone around me is like, "Where's the baby?" And I'm just oh, like, no. "I don't know. It's never coming, probably." Um, but yeah, I I did have my birthday. Um, Yay, it was birthday. fun. Everyone, thank like, you. Please go on social media and wish Pellin a happy late birthday. But please, please don't. It's fine. It's over. <laughs> it, no, it's. Um, I I would be very very grateful for any birthday wishes. Yeah, I just. Uh, I had a night at a hotel, like a fancy hotel, to treat oh. myself. Shout out to tubs, you know? Shout out to bathtubs. Um, I've got one in my apartment, but it leaks to the apartment downstairs because, you know, that's New York, oh. baby. So it was really nice to get into, like, a proper tub and just soak in there for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, one that and... you can, like, fully like sink into. Like, yes, yes. I don't know, but the size of tubs that are not in hotels here in New York is just... It's just terrible. Yeah. How am I meant to look like my troubled female protagonist <laughs> if I can't sink my entire body in and then blow bubbles into into yes. the overhead camera? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. How about you? What were you up to this week? Well, I guess by the time this episode comes out, it's not like a secret or anything, but I'll have had my last day of work at Eater. In a, in a few weeks, I'm joining the Gawker relaunch. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'll see how good of a Gawker blogger You're going to be excellent. I'm excited for the takes. I'm excited for the blogs. I'm excited for all the writing. I'm, an ex- so I'm excited for everything else. We just have to make sure that the trolls are kept at bay and they come nowhere near yeah. you. Otherwise, we're going to be having some fucking problems. You know what I mean? So yeah, let's do like a, I don't know, a summoning circle or like a, some sort of pentagram stuff i don't know how this works oh i was Whatever. just gonna i was just gonna go out and fight every single one of them like that also just, works you know uh and i would think hand-to-hand combat greatly <laughs> for that but yeah i'll see how it goes thank you so much and thank you so much to everyone who we know from eater who's listening uh love you all and pellin once again Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. I will say one of the highlights of my week, I forgot to mention this, is I, because I'm fully vaccinated and because I took a day off during the weekday, I did go to the movie theater for the first time oh in over a year. Reader, I cried. Um, I went to see Limbo at the Angelica. Yeah, it was, I mean, listen, I, the second I walked in and I sat down on my seat, my husband can attest, I cried my eyes out because I couldn't oh. believe it was happening. <laughs> I genuinely, and I knew this would happen. I just genuinely didn't think I'd ever get to the point where I'd sit in a movie theater again, but it was very empty. It was me, my husband, and one other person all the way on the other end. But it was it was it was really nice. I've missed it so much. Anyway, oh my god, normalcy, transformative power of cinema. Who knew? We should do a podcast about films. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I think some people might like that. It's never been done before. It's never been done. No one's thought of it. Um, Anyway, (laughs) happy for you. Uh, What a what a week. What a week for this podcast. Yeah. And in TV news, uh, what did you watch this week, Ellen? So for the last couple of weeks, I've been tuning into the weekly release of Mayor of Easttown on HBO. So Mayor of Easttown, it's on a 
week to week schedule, as I mentioned, we are tonight is going to be episode four. Yes. Um. So three episodes have been released already. Uh, we are watching it. We don't have screeners. We're not there yet. No. Maybe after Jenny gets her sweet Gawker gig, we can maybe get some like the hookup. That's going to be we'll the pure goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the show is created by Brad Inglesby. Mayor is a name. So instead of Mayor, I know. I think <laughs> this is intentional. Um, it follows Mayor Sheehan. She is a detective in a small suburb town of Pennsylvania. We basically follow her as she tries to solve the recent murder of a local teen mum, as well as, unfortunately, taking shit by the town for not solving the disappearance of another teen girl the year previous. And because of that, the county sends Detective Colin Zabel, who's played by Evan Peters, to come in and basically help her slash annoy the fuck out of her. Um, Can I just say, I didn't realize I had a crush on Evan Peters until this show. Oh, welcome. Like... Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Like, this is... I am he's glad. giving yeah yeah he's giving like average white guy who has a heart of gold yeah who just you know like takes care of you I... uh isn't <laughs> remarkably handsome but it's just handsome enough it's the perfect balance yeah i really hope this does not get i don't know there's no twist that involves him not being the oh i don't guy. yeah i mean i don't think so well this is this, so this is my favorite thing about these types of shows because anybody can get it and in terms of get it i mean anybody can be the murderer so this is obviously a murder mystery but as well as that it's a, it's a show about family and about community um centering around mayor yeah so for anyone that hasn't seen any of the promotional materials or any of that mayor is played by the iconic kate winslet you know i think this is her first tv series that she's done i'm not sure i could be wrong she's so good in this mm-hmm. and i don't know how much of it is her and how much of it is a character so to talk about a little bit about mayor as well as her being a detective as well as her like having to solve this crime she is in a, in a bit of a personal mess She's taking care of her grandson after recently losing her son to suicide. Um, and she's having, as you watch it, you'll find out that she's having a custody battle with the recovering drug addict daughter-in-law. And unfortunately, her son's death caused her divorce and her ex-husband lives across the street. Uh, not even across the street, right across behind, the backyard. Yeah. yeah, right behind her house uh, with his new fiance. Her cousin is the local father of Catholic Church. Uh, the mother of last year's missing teen is her former high school basketball teammate. Oh, by the way, she's a former high school basketball star. So I say all of this to say everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very small town. Everyone knows each other. And if you don't know anything about Brad Inglesby, this makes a lot of sense to him. You know, he's mostly written and directed films. Uh, this is his first TV series. Oh. But his most recent works are American Girl, that stars Sienna Miller, and The Way Back, starring our best Boston boy, Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, he's from Pennsylvania, and his, I guess his filmmaker beat, if that's the thing that exists, is uh, troubled protagonist in Pennsylvania and tight-knit communities. So American Girl is very similar to Mare in that it features a, a young-ish protagonist who has a grandson as well. American Girl also had, you know, somebody living across the street from another family member. And in The Way Back, um, it's about an alcoholic basketball coach. And Brad Inglesby's dad was a basketball player and then the coach of his town. Uh, and then, so yes. This is and very much like drawn from personal, personal experience. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the, the funny thing about The Way Back is it was meant to be in Pennsylvania, but Ben 
hadn't said, absolutely not, I'm never going back to the East Coast again, even though I'll rep this set forever. (laughs) And they had to switch the location to California. So it's set in California. It just doesn't. This is all to say that it's a, like you mentioned, Jenny, it's a classic example of like, write what you know. This is his thing. Like, this is Brad Inglesby's thing. These are his ticks. This is what he likes to do. So um, I'm interested to hear your take on this because obviously I'm in my bag with a show like this because it's uh, a limited series. It's about a murder mystery. It's super gray tone. It's, uh, you know, classic prestige looking HBO TV. What were your thoughts on it? Well, obviously, I think the comparison that a lot of people are going to be making or have made initially is like, oh, it's the next Undoing. Like HBO's put out yet again, like another limited series that unfolds week to week, starring a very famous actress like in this Mm -hmm. uh, central role. But, you know, besides that, I guess, like framework or whatever, it's very different from The Undoing in a great way. Yes. Undoing, I think it was... It worked best when you saw it as like a titillating sort of camp kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Versus this feels so much more like internally rich, I guess. Yes. Like yes. in terms of like character and the relationships with each other and yeah. more than just like set dressing for, you know, Park Avenue or Fifth Avenue or whatever. Like this is really yeah. going into these towns, taking the care to show how these characters fit into each other's lives and how mm-hmm. they they literally all know each other. And like Mare's job as a detective and on the police force is so entangled with her relationships and how she, uh, you know, interacts with her neighbors and her community. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really liking it so far. I yeah. hope it, I really hope it doesn't do the undoing thing where it like, you know, the undoing tried so hard to be this kind of prestige, like mystery kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. it, it really took itself way too seriously when yeah. it didn't warrant that. Like it didn't actually kind of deserve that kind of treatment. Yeah. Uh, versus yeah. this, I, I hope, and I think it's unfolding in a different way where it's not going to be like, you know, an ending that's so disappointing or like mm-hmm. a, just a totally different reaction to the thing it is at its core. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I really hope that it sort of continues on on this successful path so far. Yeah. I mean, the thing that took me aback immediately was I was expecting something a little bit a little bit more in the vein of Mindhunter, where it's like very serious and very dark, and there is absolutely nothing about the personal lives, and it's all about the murder. I did not expect this much about the community and about how the interconnectedness of it makes the entire thing messy mm-hmm. and and then obviously it, in, in some sense of the word it increases the mystery because you don't know where one thing ended and another thing began because the relationships yeah. are so blurred but at the same time it's incredibly accurate like yeah like if you have or if you did grow up in a family or in a town that did have a situation where everybody knew each other, you know how secrets are kept. You know how people hide things for each other. And in that sense, I really appreciated the context. So the thing that you're saying about like, you know, hoping that it doesn't disappoint towards the end, I agree. I really hope it doesn't entirely become about the murder itself, you know, completely siloed off from everybody else. And it becomes a little bit more the way that it's going, which is Mare and her mess and her family's mess. There's whatever the Venn diagram is with this murder. It's just like, it's basically almost a full circle. Um, it's, it's good to have it that way because obviously personal mess is why we get invested in things (laughs) like it's always good to it's always good to see a very distinct character take on something as intense as grief as disappointment as you know 
broken promises or whatever it might be, all of these things. Yeah, um, and her, her character so far is really interesting and appealing, mm-hmm. I think, for how it doesn't, like, shy back. It yeah. shows that she has a, a lot of problems and a lot of personal problems, and those personal problems definitely bleed into work. Like, yeah. by the end of, by, by like, episode three, you see that she is doing... Uh, stuff that you know basically is what people would call like corrupt cop stuff yeah um so yeah it's you do kind of like want to root for her because she is the central character and you see how fucked up her life is but you also i hope that people watching this like everyone is like cognizant also of the fact that like wow this is like some really bad stuff going on yeah um, yeah around her in her orbit stuff that mistakes she's making yeah um yeah it's it's nice to kind of see a female lead like this allowed to be so messy and so terrible in many ways but also weirdly sympathetic 100 percent. there's obviously like things that happen to her or the the way that she acts is is almost a little bit tropey um you know the usual like oh she's just chowing down on like a hoagie or whatever or or like she's just she doesn't give a shit she has a messy ponytail she's toking a vape or whatever and she just doesn't give a shit you know like the whole love that she was vaping um yeah i think that i ever expected to see like kate winslet like full up just 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 yeah yeah. stuffing hoagie like two like double fisting hoagie and vape like yeah (laughs) and the thing is like despite the tropes because I love that, because I love fe- like just women like that in general, even in my personal life, it's just so refreshing to watch it in general, especially because more than anything, the way that she is emotionally receiving things is, is even though it's tropey, because Kate Winslet is playing her so well, it doesn't bother me as much. Like, mm-hmm. she yeah. is emotionally stunted. You know, you after all the shit that's happened to her, you'd expect her to be the one, like, crying her tits off constantly, but obviously not, because... She is a hardened detective that has been through some things. And that, again, that's a trope. But at the same time, like, it's so good seeing it through her lens. Yeah. Like, tropes are, there's so many tropes everywhere in this show and other shows and films, whatever. Tropes are like tropes for a reason. Like, they are successful and people use them. Yeah. But it's really about how you use them and how you elevate the quality of it. Yeah. Like this versus last week we talked about Shadow and Bone, how there mm-hmm. were a lot of tropes surrounding that main character as well. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't the fact that it was tropey so much as just, like, the quality and the interest was not there. Yeah. Um, here, like, both of those things are present despite, yeah. you know, the, the conceit being like, yeah, people might say it's a little bit cliche, which it is. It is, yeah. If you can make it good, um that's how you elevate the cliche and the thing is it, it the, the show itself the way it's written the way it's directed the way it's performed it's just like it's baked into you after the first episode you have an, an a complete understanding of this town the part of the reason why this is so successful i think is because it takes away a little bit of that prestige and then it adds in a little bit of like a dark sitcom element to it where you have these families and you have these spaces and these houses and you have these characters that you just you they could be real people you might have met someone like that you might know someone like that and the the way that they interact with one another again this is this is the whole inglesby thing that we love is that this is what authenticity gets you i don't know i really like it i really like that it is again it's a murder mystery but at the same time it is so much about this town and about these people and i'm more invested in the latter than i am in the former saying that though (laughs) um Mm -hmm. there's so many red herrings in this 
even yeah. it's only been episode three and there's like at least four red herrings um that's going on so who who have you got jenny like who do you think did it oh i'm so bad at this clearly if you remember our, our predictions the undoing <laughs> i was like did the grandpa do it yeah <laughs> or did the the friend so um, so let me let, let, let me list out let me list out the options all right okay so we've got um either one we've got a deacon yes who is looking very suspicious so far yeah so the deacon at the church is very suspicious obviously at the end of episode three something happens that suggests that he's the one that did it and then we've got who else have we got there's the there's there's frank the ex-husband frank the ex-husband which was can i just say that was what episode three fantastic confrontation this is my favorite thing about mare is like she does not shy away from confrontation just like any character she leans into it but have you seen the the vine of the guy that's like everybody that knows mare and he's like sighing like don't mare don't mare (laughs) don't do it mare don't it's so good yeah i'll include it um i have a link somewhere i'll include it in whatever our our, our notes so basically everybody around mare is telling her not to do it and she does it anyway which is the most appealing part of her (laughs) honestly um so yeah it's it's uh the deacon it's the ex-husband it could be the cousin the father who, who's the cousin oh yeah yeah, yeah. who he is who could i don't know who, who seems kind of guilty by association so. yeah guilty by association but also like there were questions being asked in the previews for tonight's episode where i'm just like oh no were they working together um oh, wow so there's that um I guess is the bully and like the the bully's still an option. I mean, I don't it's think not, so. Probably not going to be. No, no. She she probably didn't kill anyone. And then we've got. Um, I think we've also got maybe the dad, Aaron's dad. Oh yeah. I think he's still an option. Uh, I'm going to throw out some two wild cards. Huh. Siobhan, Mare's daughter, Siobhan. Oh, the like 17 year old daughter. The 17 year old bandmate, the queer bandmate who uh-huh. is. I don't know. It's just uh, I'm questioning how much screen time she's getting. So that that's that's why. true. She got a lot of screen time yes. in the last episode. Yes. Um. Great music on this show, by the way. Love the music. Um. And um. And I think Richard, the writer that Mare is dating, is kind of who I've got my money on. Wow. But I don't know. Yeah. So this is this is the National Book Award winning writer that arrives into town and is like teaching at the college or whatever. It's played by Guy Pierce. He him and him and Mayor fuck. Um, I think in the pilot, and then they date. So the reason why I say that is like I might have trolled the Reddit threads. Oh, I see. Yeah. Reading some theories. I'm reading some theories, and one of the theories is that Mayor ends up reading his book, and then there's like a fat clue in there that suggests that he's the one that does it. I love that. So, wow, so your go your your guess right now, wildcard guess, I guess, is, is Richard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's that okay. wild, but yeah, that's who I've got my money on. Um Okay. I'll just like throw up my guess, yeah. which is like gonna be wrong. I don't even care. I'm just gonna say out of all of them so far, I'll put forth the cousin. Um, Ooh, yeah. The father cousin. Yes. Religious. That's actually a that's actually a very, very intelligent guess. I have no logic behind it. No, the, I mean, the logic is that these people all know each other, and even though Mare doesn't give a shit about knowing someone, you know, by example of the way that she confronts her ex-husband, I think that might be the thing that kind of shocks it for her, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a we'll smart see. guess. We'll see. The the, the One of the funniest things that has come out of this is uh, the accent that is on Mare, so... 
You know, I've never... So many, so many articles written about So this. many articles about the authenticity of the accent. You know, Miss Kate Winslet is from England. She talks like I do, maybe a little bit posher. But um, the the way that she... <laughs> I've uh, Listen, I've never actually one-on-one met someone from Pennsylvania with that thick of an accent. So it was really Neither. funny to me watching it because I was like, this can't be real. But then again, I come from the country where Birmingham exists and the Birmingham accent exists. So who the fuck am I to judge, you know? <laughs> so it's um, the the funniest thing that has obviously happened from the calls for authenticity is that everyone's been taking the piss out of the Philly accent. Yeah, this, the, the, way that, the way that the accent just flows through this show, it's really great. Honestly, more accents. Give me more accents in shows. This country has a million of them. Why, why am I not hearing more, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, it's true. The last time a conversation like this surrounding accents in a show came up, I feel, was on True Blood, like the Kentucky accent. And that was like a oh. whole thing about like the, the accuracy of the, of the Kentucky accent. Maybe, maybe there was one since then and I just didn't know. But I, just, I distinctly remember how much everybody was like, yeah, this is really accurate. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's fun. Accuracy is fun. It's great. Everybody loves accuracy. One final shout out to Evan Peters, not just for being cute, but for his performance in episode three as a drunk person. Do you remember this? Literally the pinnacle of acting. I have no idea how he did it. Have you ever been that drunk, Jenny? Have you ever been that fucked up where you like your speech was slurring and you were like slumped on a bar counter somewhere? No, thankfully I can, I guess genetically or whatever, uh, can slam back a lot. Are you serious? Yeah, unexpectedly, right? Wow. That's nuts. I'm so, I I need to I need to see this. I need to see this. When you're back in New York, we have to I have to just watch you slam back because I'm a fucking lightweight. I can't slam back anything. Like I'll g- oh, wow. Yeah, I'll get like one cocktail and I'll have like three sips because I'm so scared of my acid reflux ruining the rest of my li- night. So That's a legitimate fear. It's it it literally I any kind of fun that I had entirely out the window <laughs> past midnight when I cannot sleep. I have been that drunk back in my youthful days of of university albeit i was not drinking that much i just got to there faster again because i'm a lightweight um but evan peters's performance as a drunk person it's very hard it's actually very very hard to get that right and he did such a perfect job um i wonder if he was actually drunk yeah like a little bit like a i'm sure a little tipsy maybe Maybe you know you know what you know how actors are they they really method. try to yeah they really try to method it up so yeah mayor of East Town a fun actually a fun time a more fun time than you can imagine if you veer away from prestige drama because it's too much gray blue tone and you, you know like it depresses you and that's not that's not your vibe. I would implore you to still watch this because I think Kate Winslet is fantastic. I think the rest of the cast is fantastic. Huge shout out also to Jean Smart, who plays her mother, who is also great and their interactions are incredible. Um, I, please watch it. it. It's only three episodes in, so you've got time to catch up. And as we continue this journey, I know that so many people are going to get really revved up for the end of it. And I hope that the season finale delivers. All right, so that's enough of Pennsylvania. <laughs> what did you watch this week, Jenny? This week I watched the Mitchells versus the Machines um, mm-hmm. on Netflix. So if you know this podcast, you know that sometimes I force Pellant to watch animated films or TV. Four sounds, four sounds worse than it is. Yes. Well, we probably would not be covering this this kind of stuff. If it weren't for me and my, uh, I don't know, child, childlike love for animated 
production. It's not that I don't like it. It's just I'm more inclined to skip and you're more in- inclined to click on. Yeah. 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 For certain ones. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, the latest example of one that is supposed to be pretty good. It's a film, like I said, on Netflix, produced by Sony Pictures Animation, directed, written by Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe, and it stars a whole bunch of uh, actual A-listers uh, as like the, the voice cast. Like Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, Olivia Coleman. Hell yeah. Kind of a big get. <laughs> yep. Huge get. Uh, yeah. So brief summary. Basically, we have this family of four. Katie is like, you know, the, the 18 year old, whatever, aspiring filmmaker. She's about to leave home for film school in California. She has a younger brother, Aaron, who's really into dinosaurs. She has a mom, Linda, and she has a dad named Rick who is basically the opposite in many ways of Katie. He doesn't understand technology. He doesn't really understand film Mm -hmm. or Katie or her interests at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before she's supposed to leave for school, they have a big argument that highlights just how much they've grown apart since she was little and they did everything together. Mm -hmm. Um, So Rick has this, like, desperate last-minute idea of forcing the family to, along with their dog, to go on a road trip to drive Katie from Michigan. Uh, shout out, Michigan. Pick up the Michigan. <laughs> to drive Katie, um, yeah, all the way to California in this attempt to bond with her and, like, uh, close the gap that has grown between them. Mm-hmm. But along the way, what do you know it? There's a robot apocalypse. And um, mm-hmm. basically, there's this, like, out-of-control AI that was created by this tech entity that is supposed to be kind of like a Google, Facebook, Apple conglomerate kind of corporation um so basically all the machines all the phones all the computers everything is just like taken over by this ai and who is voiced by olivia coleman which she's great so she's so good in it she's so good (laughs) Uh, and then yeah so this family for the mitchells it's kind of i mean the details a little bit light on this run but they're kind of the last humans standing against these machines Mm -hmm. hence the title and so, you know, they have to embark on a quest to fix everything, blah, blah, blah. Save the world, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, save the world, the typical, yeah. you know, typical stuff. So this, I'll say up front, it's definitely a kids and family movie. It's rated PG. And so with that comes, you know, the usual caveats, like some of the dialogue is a bit corny. The themes are not particularly novelle, and they're not particularly complex. And some of the characterization, mm-hmm. I think, is also a little bit broad. Mm-hmm. But that being said... I thought it was a lot of fun once I got over the those initial humps. And by the end of it, I was like really into the action and like what was going on and like invested in their journey. Yeah. What about you, Helen? I had a great time, dude. Yeah. This was such a fun way to spend like a Saturday afternoon. It was just really, really fun to watch. Like, yeah, yeah it, it's for sure a family movie, but like many families of recent times, it's funny for adults and yes. there are jokes fitted in there for you to laugh and understand. Like it's not, you know, the signaling is there for you. So you're going to yes. have a fun time no matter what. I, I had yeah. a fun time. What were, What was your favorite uh, aspect of it, I guess? <laughs> You know, um, the sarcasm about technology and yes, the way that AI that. is, um, love that. I mean, the, the, the tech guy who is the reason for the AI ending up, you know, spinning out mm. of control, played by Eric Andre, really funny, really funny his character. Name is, his name is Mark, which is like wink, wink. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And then, like, every now and again, it's like, there, there were just, like, comments about, like, oh, I never knew that giving all your information to big tech would result in something <laughs> so bad. I loved it. I love that sarcasm so much. Me too. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorite parts, I agree, as, like, a, an adult watching this with, like, full understanding of all these, like, winks and nods to, like, oh, yeah, tech monopolies are probably not good. Um, yep. probably not great that everything we rely on in the world is in these like tiny personal computers that we all carry mm-hmm. all the time, like surveilling us basically all the time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like much cleverer than I guess the, the genre might suggest. For sure. And also I appreciated that the climax and like the, the eventual like resolution didn't quite go the way I expected. Mm-hmm. I had predicted something a little bit more emotionally cheesy, uh, based on like the idea of like, Oh, if they can convince Olivia Coleman's character, this AI, that uh, humans are worth saving, yeah. that will be what does it. Like, their family is going to do something like that. Yeah. But, uh, spoiler, actually, she's like, well, that doesn't sound convincing. Or like, I don't really care. Humanity sucks. Yeah. So they have to go for something else um, that's much more action-oriented. You know, all the explosions and, like, the, the flying robots and everything like that. Yeah. So it flies off the rails in a different direction, but... I appreciated that it didn't like go for the kind of easy trap that it no. set up uh, yeah. from the beginning. Because one, uh, in addition to the way that it's very tongue in cheek about its critique of the tech industry in general, I also loved that it almost played both sides of the way that humans are terrible and they're actually the problem and not technology. So, it, it, I mean, it's not that obvious. It's just like through Olivia Coleman, you there were points where I was just like, oh yeah, she's right. She's totally right. She's absolutely right. This world would be better off without humans. We really don't know how to appreciate each other. Like when she said the, um, I guess this isn't really a spoiler, but there's a point in which the Olivia Coleman's character as AI says that 90% of calls are ignored are from mothers. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, because I'd literally just ignored a call from my mother like an hour hour previously. (laughs) Um, Love her, but we'd already talked. So it was like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's fine. But it's it's that, you know, it's it's that feeling of like, oh, there's also something inherently wrong with the human race. Not just, you know, technology isn't the thing that really did it. It just compounded it. So that that was interesting. Totally. As far as like the, the more emotional aspects... You know, I'm a sucker for father-daughter emotional distances. Oh, let's get into it. Um, uh, just like, sometimes, it's like the opposite of a, like a daddy's girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I mean, it's definitely like, it wasn't a huge twist or like surprise or anything to see the way that they sort of like unfolded and revealed different parts of the relationship mm. over the course of this movie. But, you know, by the time they they showed the, the home video or whatever of basically katie's dad rick selling his his dream selling his dream cabin in the woods so that he could you know go with his wife and newborn daughter to create their own life to mm-hmm. sustain them i was just like damn this is you know it's this is a lot <laughs> yeah it's very <laughs> it's heavy. a lot yeah uh, so i appreciate the way that it showed that a little bit um mm-hmm. because i feel like usually there's not as much focus on like father-daughter stuff in animated films or film in general it's so much more like mom focus when it comes to like uh childhood family trauma or whatever as a former daddy's girl uh who then spent most of her teen years clashing with her father yeah and who has now as an adult come right back around and you know i i still i still listen the older you get the more you see your parents flaws but now i come at it from a place of empathy as opposed to a place of confrontation like i used to um it is uh 
it's a very particular relationship and it has so obviously it has so much to do and through rick we see this it has so much to do with the father's inability to communicate yeah. and to process emotions healthily because you know they're straight men and uh, <laughs> you have to cap it up cap it off at some point with your expectations for for their emotional intelligence or whatever yeah. um and obviously because you as a as a daughter you especially if you're the firstborn da- daughter much like there is with the Mitchells you know you grow up faster than you I guess you should grow up mm. and so your emotional intelligence f- it exceeds your father's pretty quickly somewhere around teen years which I think is why you end up clashing with them at that age specifically um yeah. and there's so, also yeah. the yeah of course the aspect of like wanting to protect you know a father wanting to protect his daughter from mm-hmm. what he sees as like the big scary things on the world whether that's like something a real threat or like just disappointment and yeah having to suffer um you know life you see <laughs> yeah life yeah. which yeah. yeah summary of life but it's definitely it's got that tenderness uh mm-hmm. it's got the a little bit of emotional resonance mm-hmm. i wish that there was a little bit more to the mom linda's character beyond just her being defined by like i'm a mom and when people threaten my babies i'm gonna like go super hulk um, yeah yeah i mean that i did laugh out yeah it's yeah. It, i laughed a lot when that happened um, me too because it's it, it, funny <laughs> it comes in right at the end so it's not something that you see throughout it but just even pulling further back throughout the film like her playing defense for her husband and then also mm-hmm. like playing you know the assist Mm-hmm. Um, in any given situation with the both of them and like trying and yeah I, I get that yeah, yeah mediating playing uh, Switzerland yeah but you know it's it at the end of the day it does really focus more on Rick and Katie so mm-hmm. I kind of understand that otherwise yeah this is it really it was really funny unexpectedly it was definitely engaging the yes. animation I thought was so it's so dynamic. good yeah, yeah it's so, so good colorful yeah. yeah yeah it's really like embodying you know what Katie does which is she does a lot of like animation animation her own and like mm-hmm. doodles like bursting off the page and just like yeah so much movement and color um and flair i i think it was really well done and if you're even if you're just in it for the visuals yeah. uh you know it's really fun to watch that the way that they um, uh, apply different animation styles into mm-hmm. one frame so i i liked how they did that into the spider-verse too but like when you watch the credits for example you see how deep a bench that the animation team is and it's like split in between the different styles Mm -hmm. so you've got the um you know you've got the 3d animation which is what most you know that's the base that's the base of it and then you've got the painted elements and then you've got the cartoon elements where it's a little bit more 2d animation it's just really yeah that textural element to it is i love it so much like why not you know these are things that we loved growing up these are the things that we're familiar with it gives us a sense of nostalgia why not use it with the more recent modern forms of animation computer, yeah yeah and, yeah and it's really like you know animation one of the strengths is it's being able to portray the the completely fantastical like every anything out of your imagination you yeah can, obviously it takes so much work to produce that yeah um, just like every little thing whether it's hand drawn or just like hand mo- like modeled in the computer mm-hmm. um but it's like a, a strength of the medium so i really like For it sure. when these kind of like works use that to its full advantage yeah yeah so unexpected delight here I yeah think even if you don't have a kid in the family even if you're not a kid give it a try like Pellin said it, it like makes a nice afternoon watch mm-hmm. or like a just like a quick less than two hours kind of thing kind of takes you back to feeling like the excitement of a child i think at the yeah 
For sure. And like, you know, there's some little uh, cameos in there that are always fun when you finally oh, yeah. see the credits and you see who's the voices, who the voices were. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to give any away, but yeah. Some good, like a deep bench, some like famous people in here. Right. So that's what we've been watching this week for Culture Notes. We are all so excited about the Succession cast news. And we're also very excited about the fact that Selling Sunset is filming season four. Before we get into Selling Sunset, I just want to bring back to the news that we got this week, which seemed to happen like one after the other and everybody got so fucking excited. So we found out this week that, first of all, Alexander Skarsgård will be joining the cast and playing a successful confrontational tech founder and CEO. Love that for him. Love that for him. Perfect casting. And then right after that, we found out that Adrian Brody will be playing Josh Aronson, uh, a guest role of, quote, a billionaire activist investor who becomes pivotal in the battle for the ownership of Waystar. Man, I am so excited about this. So the the funniest thing about the first piece of news about Alex Skarsgård was everybody was like, oh, is there a HBO show that he's not on? Because, you know, he, he's obviously, he, he must be tight with the execs. It's a steady job. Why not? Um, but I really think that this is perfect for him because, did you ever watch The Long Shot, Jenny? Is that the one with Seth Rogen and yeah. Shirley's? Yeah, that was actually a lot of fun. That was a lot Wait, of fun. Was Was he... He was in that. In that? Yeah. Who did he play? He played the Canadian Prime Minister. Oh, the hot, okay, like the yeah. Trudeau kind of guy. Yeah, the Trudeau guy. So that was the first time I'd ever seen him in like a fully, like a comedic Comic. role. Yeah. yeah. And he did a great job because he does have a face that can go one of two ways. He can be the hot guy that is dark and, you know, abusive, much like in The Big Little Lies, or... Yeah, and he gets that from his dad. Or it can be, you know, he has a weird, like, herpy derp face that can, yeah, it it's very good for comedy. Looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I'm excited about this, especially if he is going to be giving some, like, ice cold deliveries, which, which I'm really excited for. And then Adrian Brody, I think, is having a bit of a comeback. As well as this, he's going to be in the Adam McKay HBO series about the Lakers. He's going to be playing Pat Riley, the mm. coach. So he's having a bit of a comeback as well. I'm very excited for Adrian Brody, but we're all obviously so excited because we, uh, like we've mentioned before on this podcast, we found out that they started filming a couple months back and we lost it because <laughs> this yeah. is this is the show. All these pictures like keep dropping of like there was one of like someone t- just like uh, on the online, I guess, like took a photo of like Kendall like walking down the street. <gasps> lost it. it. Was, uh, amazing, and he was with Stewie too. So it's yeah. Like, shit what is gonna come out of this and then um, and then there's the other one where he's walking in an office and someone film him walking through like some glass oh, doors of an office yeah. oh my god just like every little crumb like please give us some more yeah then i can't remember the last time we were this excited about a new season of a show straight up like yeah with game of thrones i think everybody w- was excited but they were so stringent about the announcements and you know everything like that that no one ever found anything out until some they were watching stuff but it's funny how this has basically become hbo's like this is it for them you know this is this is their uh pride and glory uh, so it's it's really it's really exciting to to see it but well well loved by the well well loved and i think with everybody that watches it yeah. too you don't even need I, to be in media it's like media. really smart because they know like especially people on Twitter, which is like mm-hmm. a lot of journalists, a lot of people in media, 
they get so excited about this that they're just like they're building the buzz for them yeah they will build the buzz in the coverage for them also yes Um, yes for sure i mean smart strategy and very smart yeah i'm really excited about i at first it almost seemed like he's like hbo just like casting everyone in the next season but yeah i think it sounds great so far and people have made jokes about there just being so many tall men there'll be so many tall men so many tall men poor kieran culkin he's listen welcome to my life kieran (laughs) <laughs> as a as a fellow five foot something person <laughs> it, listen i don't i don't think he feels it as much but I, i'm sure when he stands next to all these people he's definitely gonna feel it because the whole thing is that his neck is gonna break right yeah. mm-hmm. from just staring up but he's got tall person energy yes, much much like good. me so it's he's not really a problem charisma. yeah he's got the great <laughs> you can be super super tall and be really tiny uh energy much like cousin greg you know <laughs> I was listening to a bunch of podcasts about the casting stuff because it was like they were meant to, this was meant to start filming last year, August, and we should have already started watching it by now if the pandemic didn't happen, Mm. right? And, you know, in that sense, was the casting going to be this way? Uh, Probably not, dude. I think they are taking this time that they've had to see if they can add like a deep bench of stars Mm -hmm. because that's usually the issue with scheduling for for most shows. You know, you get who you get because of the schedule. Uh, like someone might be out shooting another show or out shooting another film and then you can't get them for that right or like you know not that you wanted it but it's just it's not available to you because they're not available but now that everybody's like dicking about because they don't have anything else to do because of the pandemic uh they they can cast these things which is fun it's all exciting for us yeah yeah Um, and speaking of something else we're excited about oh my god mentioned selling sunset kind of the the opposite spectrum of the succession but they are apparently filming again as people of you know cast members have revealed on instagram and all these different posts uh very exciting stuff i'm so excited and there's already been like some behind the scenes drama like i think some people weren't invited to heather's wedding or engagement party or something like that so we're definitely going to get into it with that oh man i'm so excited Yes. And just P.S. Davina appears to not be in some of these group photos. <gasps> seen, so I don't know wow. what's happening there. I think the, I think the, the hearsay was basically she left the, the firm. Oh. Um, Cause she couldn't sell know. that fucking house. <laughs> yeah. I think it's still on the market, but, but I don't know if she is like, it, does that mean she's off the show or will she still appear? Like they gotta have, I guess like Christine is basically still the villain. Um, yeah. But Davina was she made a pretty good villain while she was on. I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll add in another villain if she's not coming back. I do think that she'll probably make a couple of cameos and like make some appearances mm-hmm. at some like social events or whatever. They've got options for They've for, got plenty of options. Yeah, for for the villain. Um yeah. well well guys, it's gonna be an exciting couple <laughs> of months. Um just a heads up, we are taking a break next week. Uh we will join you guys the week after that for so many new shows oh my god there's so much happening um so many to pick from the next few weeks yeah uh please take that break to do your homework watch the shows that we've been talking about and the films that we've been (laughs) talking about so everybody's on the same page i'm such a fucking neurotic teacher i swear to god in the meantime 
Please don't miss us too much. But if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and some more, please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe tell a friend about us. Eat a hoagie. See you the week after next. Bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelinkeskin Lu and Jenny Chichang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.